free drop here, no doubt. Yeah, free drop. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. Made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Happy New Year, folks. This is Sean Zock, your host of The Drop Zone. You're hearing my voice right now because you're about to hear a bunch of my co-hosts, Dylan chair. Dylan, oh, he's in Hawaii right now, so we can all be jealous of that, but we can also be jealous of the fact that he spent some time earlier this week with Patrick Cantlay, the number four golfer on the planet, who honestly is really good, but we don't really know a lot about him. And he's been one of the most interesting voices on the topic of live golf and really the state of the PGA Tour. Patrick just joined the tour's board of directors. This is like a very exclusive group of business people and some of the most important people on the PGA Tour. They help make the rules. They help fend off live golf if they need to. Uh, All of that is to say, if you are interested in learning about the state of the tour and what Cantlay thinks about live and the state of one of the best players in the world, Patrick Cantlay is your guy. This is your content. But first, other content notes from Dylan and me. Uh, pertaining to YouTube, we have launched a Drop Zone YouTube account and have been posting some of our, I think, our favorite content over there, starting with our trip to Gamble Sands, which is in eastern Washington. Uh, that has been viewed nearly 10,000 times. So help us get to 11,000. There was our, uh, our ski, golf, and baseball trip. All in one day, nine, nine, and nine. Uh, that was a hit. And currently, I am cooking up a little video about a wacky golf course in Colorado. The visuals are insane. You kind of just have to see it to understand it all. So go to YouTube, search Drop Zone Golf, or just go to YouTube.com/slash at Drop Zone Golf and subscribe. View it all. Let us know what you think of it. Until then, here is Dylan and Patrick Cantley. All right, folks, welcome to the very first Drop Zone podcast of 2023, and sitting with me, the first Drop Zone guest of 2023, Mr. Patrick Cantlay. Patrick, uh, where are we right now? We are at beautiful Kapalua, and we're out on the deck, and we have an amazing view, one of the best probably on Maui. This is probably about as well as I've done in terms of (laughs) staying uh, places on site at tournaments. Uh, How long have you been here? Do you like make a trip out of it when you come to Maui? Yeah, this is actually the first year we made a trip out of it, but we went over to McKenna this past weekend and played some golf out there, Xander and I, and um, just kind of got adjusted to Maui, and it's so beautiful here. We figured a couple extra days here was uh, not a bad thing and made our way over here to Kapalua on Monday, so yesterday. So I guess my goal with this podcast is a couple things. Um, the first is to help people get to know you a little bit more than they already do, and the second is just to dive into the state of professional golf a little bit, which uh, I know I just was watching your uh, press conference, so I know you've been talking about plenty, but hopefully uh, here you can speak freely. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. What do you do? This is where I want to start. We know you're a very good golfer, so you must do that a lot. We've heard about you don't really spend any time on social media, right? That's right. You told me recently you don't own a computer. Is that right? That's also correct. Yes. (laughs) Like, do you have a, do you have an iPad? What do you, uh, I got an iPad for Christmas and I'll probably watch some shows maybe when we travel. Okay. Nice. Um, so like if you get an email say, how are you going to answer that? Yeah, I do it all, all on my phone. Okay. Nice. So what does Patrick Cantley do away from the golf course? Not a lot. I mean, uh, it's funny, but I tell people all the time that I'm outside all day, every day. And so, you know, most people they're inside all day, every day. And so they want to go outside when they have time off. I like staying at home and staying indoors, uh, as much as I can when I'm home, which is not all the time. Um, but I read, um, quite a bit, watch a bunch of, uh, TV shows or movies. And, uh, I like playing cards with friends or, um, just kind of hanging out, relaxing, um, spend a decent amount of time in the gym, whether it's doing just uh, actual training stuff or more corrective stuff. And uh, that's a big part of uh, what I do in my daily routine. And how does your time break down? You grew up in Southern California. You live in Florida. Are you in Florida most of the time? I am in Florida. Yeah, I would say for the most of the time. I was in California and will be throughout the West Coast swing. And so I spent Christmas there with my family. Um, And 
I like California, but Florida's starting to feel more and more like home. I think we think of you as a pretty disciplined guy from the outside. Uh, do you have like guilty pleasures, embarrassing hobbies, anything like that? I wouldn't say. I mean, I like a good donut in the morning sometimes on a week <laughs> off, um, you know, and the occasional, you know, cheeseburger or something, something like that. Food wise, I, I love a good, good night out to eat. Um, you know, a little bit of a foodie when it comes to restaurants, try to find the best restaurants in town and, and go to them. Um, other than that, I would say I'm, I'm, you know, as boring as everyone bills me up, I, I live up to that, that billing pretty good. Well, but you no, you can't feel boring. You must, <laughs> like, you must enjoy your life. Yeah, I do very much. Uh, I think I just like when things are calm. I mean, peace and quiet is, is really uh, what I like. And when we're traveling 20, 22, 23 weeks out of the year with uh, all sorts of people and a, and a big crew, uh, crew being the PGA Tour, it's a traveling circus. Uh, there's not a lot of peace and quiet. And so in my time off, I, I like peace and quiet. We know you hang out a bunch with uh, Xander Shoffley. Is is he the person you spend the most time with, you'd say, on the PGA Tour? Yeah, definitely. Uh, of other guys on tour, uh, Xander and I definitely spend the most time and probably one of the only guys, if not the only guy on tour, that I'll actually spend time in my off time with uh, not golfing. But we also golf quite a bit and enjoy each other's company. What is it about Xander? Like, how, Why do your guys' personalities seem to mesh together? I tend to have friends that are much more outgoing than I am. And so Xander is uh, friendly and, and nice and happy and upbeat to pretty much everybody. And so um, that falls in line with most of the other friends, uh, good friends that I have and have had since I was uh, very young. Um, and then also he, you know, kind of gets billed as carefree and nice and smiley, but he is very, very intelligent, very um, introspective and can talk about deep things and um, is a deep thinker. And so I enjoy getting to know that side of him as well. Yeah, I mean, that definitely seems to be a theme with the way you like to spend your time. You talked about what kind of stuff do you like to read? Are you reading books? You're reading articles, newspapers? Like, how do you how do you spend your time reading? Yeah, I keep up to date with uh, with the news, you know, just on my phone or if I find the Wall Street Journal, we read Wall Street Journal sometimes when I'm traveling. And I would say, you know, my the reading almost goes in phases. I mean, right now, or I just finished a book called Zen Mind, which is kind of a short little read. Um, and there's some good nuggets in there. Give us one. What's something we could learn from the Zen mind? We're right around New Year's here. People are trying to better themselves. <laughs> this is a perfect time for it. I think the point was that you, it's a little esoteric, but it's, it's kind of about not only living in the moment, but, but being totally present no matter what you're doing. And if you're breathing, it's okay to just breathe. There doesn't have to be more to it than just to actually be there breathing is is all that it is and if you're just sitting there breathing and you're present that is having a zen mind and so the book was you know it was a it was a little all over the place for me because it's not the way that I usually tend to think but just any type of little helpful thing I can pick up I think uh, makes it something that I enjoy reading and I'll read books like that and I'll read books that are more science-based or books that are fiction. Um, and I like them all. Does that come naturally to you having like a pretty quiet Zen mind? I mean, I always associate social media with not being present. (laughs) And so the fact that you don't use social media, you maybe aren't scrolling all the time, or at least not in the same way that some of the rest of us are. Do you think you naturally are a fairly Zen present guy? Grading on the curve, maybe yes. Um, but I think everyone can do a better job of it. And, you know, I definitely find myself overthinking or thinking too fast or living in the future more than living in the present and little reminders all the time to get yourself back to the present are really important, not only for happiness and well-being, but also for playing good golf, because when you are playing or when I'm playing my best golf, I feel very present, not worried about the past or the future, just just the now. How is your golf right now? Golf is good. Um, took that long break, and so there's always a little bit of rust when you come back, uh, and there's always a little bit of uncertainty when you haven't played a tournament in a couple months. But uh, the game feels good. I haven't been working on anything too drastic in my swing for over a year, and 
it's all about refining all the little pieces to get them as sharp as possible. Yeah, and I don't I don't want to go all the way back to the beginning, but you are a guy that has taken significant time off. Well, first not of your own making, and then now recently you've you've you know been willing to take a bunch of weeks off. What was the longest during your injured phase that you went between like playing tournaments? I had probably close or even three years before PGA Tour events. I think it was three years and maybe a little change. Um, but I played a U.S. Open 36-hole qualifier in the middle of that. So um, if you count that, that was not as long. But then I also took a stretch when I was uh, at the end of being hurt for 11 months where I didn't touch a club. So that was the longest I've gone without you know, playing either or, or practicing. I mean, that's... It's incredible. Like as a lot of golfers, I think if they don't play for a week or two, you come back and you're like, oh man, this feels a little foreign. You're someone that's relying on it to be your profession. You must have doubted a lot during that period or, or at least had uncertainty about what it would be like when you did come back or even if you would come back. Do you remember that feeling? Yeah, definitely. I had one person in particular, uh, you know, well-respected, um, person in golf that told me, you know, you shouldn't take anywhere close to that amount of time off because you might not get your proprioception back when you do come back to hitting the golf ball. And he hadn't heard of anybody at that stage in their career, kind of at the beginning, take that significant amount of a time off and then actually come back and be able to play uh, at the PGA Tour level. So definitely there was doubt and uncertainty. And I would say the most nervous I've ever been is after that three-year stretch of no tournaments uh, other than that U.S. Open qualifier, uh, when I came back at Pebble Beach in 2017, that was the most nervous I'd ever been that, that, that week, that first round. And do you think that, having gone through that and then come back and had success, I mean, relatively quickly, I would say, do you tap into that when now you say, hey, I'm, I'm going to go screw off for two or three months because uh, I know it's going to be fine? Does that, does that help at all? It, it does. That just feels like the most extreme version that taking a couple months off is, is not a big deal at all to me. Um, it's the biggest uh, adjustment the first week when you come back after a couple months off, and then everything starts to fall into place relatively quickly after that for me. So you've been in kind of an interesting spot when it comes to the uh, whatever chaos that is men's professional golf. And chaos, I say that in, in a... <laughs> Uh, 30,000 foot view, I guess, because it doesn't really seem to me day to day like you're a very chaotic guy or living a very chaotic life. But I guess let's just start with the simple question. And you sort of just addressed this in your press conference. Um, are you going to live? And if that's a complex answer, then you can tell me why. No, it's not a complex answer. I have no plans to go to live uh, and haven't for a while. Um, and that's been my stance. I think it's funny when people say chaotic about how golf uh, has been. I understand exactly why you would say that, um, but I think that's very relative. I think if you look at other sports, other sports are way more chaotic than golf. Golf just relatively in the last two years compared to the last 30, the last 30 have been extremely stable. And so the last two have been unstable and compared to where it was extremely unstable with um, you know 20 guys or so out of the top 50 in the world going to another tour um, and so from that point of view it has been chaotic but MLB baseball has uh, gone on strike I think nine times in the last 30 years and other sports have gone through similar things and golf's never had a strike and so um, I, I just think that it was inevitable that after so much time of consistency and no disruption that eventually a disruptor was going to come about and that seems to be live that's insane nine times in 30 years baseball yeah just over you know every 3.1 or 3.2 years however you want to look at it all right so when you have not uh been particularly outspoken about this stuff it's not because you haven't been thinking about it i get the sense it's actually kind of the opposite of that is mm -hmm. that a fair assessment yeah i've thought about it quite a lot and how have you gone about that process? We talked a little bit at the President's Cup. You're saying when you have a tough decision to make, you kind of try to find experts in the field or people that you know whose opinions you trust. Is that the approach you've taken to this decision as well? 
Yeah, definitely. I think that it's important to be informed and to um, weigh the options that you have. I think, yes, we're professional golfers that grew up wanting to play the PGA Tour and, and play majors and win majors. And then on the other side of the coin, we're running a really small business as professional golfers. And so staying informed and weighing the pros and cons on both sides, considering that no golfer in the last 30 years has had to weigh those pros and cons, I think is an important exercise that we should all go through. And what are some of the pros and cons? Yeah, I mean, obviously the the world ranking situation and, and no majors uh, – would be major cons uh, on the live side, as long as, as well as doing something new that is uh, not traditional and and definitely uncertain. Um, and then, uh, you know, the pros on the live side are obviously it seems like more money, and they play uh, seemingly less tournaments um, and less rounds, so um, it's just less work, uh, or at least it seems like it from the outside. Um, and then the pros on the PGA Tour are pretty numerous, I would say. Um, there's lots of history involved, and, and there's lots of tournaments that you grow up thinking that you'd like to play in and win and venues that you'd like to win at. And playing in President's Cups and Ryder Cups are, um, you know, big pros. And I would say the PGA Tour is seemingly willing to evolve and change and change for the better and really try and take this head on and so i hope they do and um that means all the best players getting together for more often for more money which is good i think for the viewers at home and good for the players players that are playing and um you know i think if you ask a lot of guys even some guys that have gone it's hard to imagine not playing on the PJ tour or not being able to play PJ tour events and i think that's because everyone grows up imagining playing on the PJ tour and all the greats in the history of golf for the most part at least the last 70 years or uh, i guess the tour started in 69 but they grandfathered all those old events in so byron nelson won all those events um you know you, you grow up wanting to be like those guys and it would feel weird to not play on the PGA Tour. So it's, those are just the high levels. But um, I think that's a, a decent, you know, short pro-con list. How do you factor in the – or do you factor in the source of the money behind um, Live Golf? I mean, obviously, Saudi money is everywhere, period, I guess, um, in the financial world and now increasingly in the sports world. Um, with golf and with live, it's definitely a pretty direct connection between the public investment fund and, you know, the actual people running the league. Is that an uncertainty or a con or a turnoff or not necessarily? I think it's definitely a consideration. I think, uh, you at least want to be totally aware of, um, of where the money's coming from and what else it's being used to do. Um, but I'm not sure if that's what you would base, you know, your whole decision off of necessarily. And I think that everyone, no matter who it is, has a different value and pro-con list and weighting of those pro-cons depending on, you know, a wide range of factors where they grew up, um, you know, how long they think they can continue to play um where their game's at at the moment how their body's feeling so there's lots of considerations that go into it and i think that's that's just another consideration have you talked to guys that have gone over there since they've gone some but uh not not many deep conversations about it um yeah i was wondering if your if your inquisitive mind has kind of like kept kept seeing what each side has been like throughout this process uh yeah not not delving into it too much more than for the most part what i see on tv how about the pga tour you talk about the the tour has been pressured to make some changes i mean here we are at the first elevated event or designated event or or whatever mm -hmm. we're settling on calling these this feels like the first step in a new chapter for the pga tour it also feels a lot like probably how this event felt last year so i'm curious if you feel like there has been a significant change on the pga tour so far i think definitely a change in the right direction i'm not sure 
if significant is exactly the word that I use, I'll use, I would use, but I think it's definitely a big positive change that, uh, you know, the tour has decided, you know, or I should say done their best to try to get the best players in the world together the most amount of times. I think that's what I want to do as a, uh, one of the top professional golfers going right now. And I think that's what the fans at home want to see. And so I think the better that they can tap into that, um, the more successful that they will be and the, the more, uh, positives that will come from it. I, I think, I think that's the way of the future. And I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's a good thing. How involved have you made yourself or how involved have you felt in the decision-making process to get to this point? I mean, you know, from the outside, we were trying to figure out what all was going on with the, the Delaware meeting and then the, all the player meetings since then, have you felt like you've had the opportunity to voice concerns and affect change? Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, you know, I'm just one of the many voices. Um, and, uh, I think it's important that you try to get as many of the voices and that way you can hear what the predominant things that are, that are being said. And, um, you know, it's a lot of times I would say it's easy for one person to go down, uh, the wrong path, but it's probably harder for a lots of people to go down the wrong path. And I think it's really important to, uh, let, people voice their concerns because if you do I think and you really pay attention to it you can eliminate some of the problems down the road if you think hard enough about it and think thoroughly through it um, but yeah I think uh, with me on the, the player advisory committee this year just got a taste into kind of that was my first year doing it and got a taste into what that's like and um, you know I've yet to have a board meeting but I go onto the board this year uh, the PGA tour board. And so I'm excited to see what that process is like and, um, hopefully do a good job for the, the rest of the PGA tour members. Yeah. What are your goals on the board? Yeah. The, my goals, I think really trying to figure out what the best, uh, you know, schedule situation is and, and how we can get the best players together more often and try to deliver the best product for the fans and for the players. I think it's a, a tricky balance sometimes but I think it can be done and um, I'm confident that you know or at least I'm optimistic I would say that uh, you know we can make some some changes for the better in the future. Do you think your fellow pros are similarly curious or are you kind of an outlier in that department? That's a good question. I think that I am willing to spend more time thinking about some of the minutiae which if enough of the minutia adds up, it starts to get pretty significant portion of the pie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I enjoy the complexities involved and it's interesting to think about and try and figure out what the best way would be. But I think everyone, because they have such a vested interest in how it ends up is curious and interested in, in, in the process and, and ultimately, you know, how the players are able to shape that process. It sounds like, just from various people talking about these meetings as though you're someone that is willing to ask tough questions or I guess push back a little bit against the easy narrative. What does that look like? I think I'm just not afraid to go against the grain or hold an unpopular take if I think it's founded in some sort of truth or reality. Um, And so I'm not afraid to upset 90% of the people in the room if I think it's worth if, it, if it's a subject that's worth um, making them, up, them upset about. Um, Even if those people are, you know, Tiger Woods or Rory McIlroy or whoever the leaders on the PGA Tour would be? Yeah, I think it, it kind of doesn't, doesn't matter. Like if, if I think that it's grounded in reality and it's, it's worth talking about, I think we should talk about, about it and not let anybody's uh, personal situation determine the outcome. Yeah, I mean... That makes sense. I mean, the way you describe all your decision-making is impressively, uh, you take your, you take emotion out of it or you seem to try to to take emotion out of it as much as possible. Um, and even when, 
I was, I was trying to describe it at some point in something I wrote about you. I said that you, you tackle press conferences sort of like you're being deposed. Like you really don't like to say things that you don't mean to be true. Is that something you consciously think about? Yeah, I, just, I think it's important to hold a worldview that's grounded in reality. That's, that's, that's as close to fact-based as possible. And inevitably, being human, you're going to get off that path uh, all the time. But trying your best to stay on that path, I think, is important. And um, it's something I really try to do. I don't want to get up on a press conference and be untruthful um, ever. But that doesn't necessarily mean I'm just going to pour my heart out up there either. Right. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, other people probably wouldn't go into a press conference saying like, yeah, I'm just going to lie a whole bunch today. But there's something about the way they approach it, like instinctively comes out slightly different, which I think is interesting. I don't know. I think back to when you won at Memorial and someone asked you why you don't smile more on the golf course. And I think what you said is basically like, I just am myself on the golf course and that's just the amount that I smile. So do you think that your personality kind of translates and and the reason uh, you are kind of, I don't know, stoic is the right word. Is that why you're such a good golfer? I don't think it hurts me. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I think uh, everybody, uh, not interprets, but everyone manifests the pressure and the moment differently. And so the way that I try and deal with it the best is just to focus as much as I possibly can. And uh, I think that comes out as feeling stoic and, um, you know, not exuberant when I make putts and not too down if I make a big mistake. And I do try very hard to be rational about my decisions and um, not get caught up in the moment when I'm out there. We've seen a little more exuberance out of you the last couple of years, though. I feel like your playoff wins, uh, playing on U.S. teams, like it's it's in there somewhere. There's definitely a passion for the game that exists. I don't want to sell you short on that. No, definitely. And like I've said before, you know, President's Cup or Ryder Cups or big moments, it's a lot easier to have that emotion. You know, I think it just comes out naturally. And when when it does come out, it's not it doesn't feel staged to me. Um, It's just the natural reaction to a moment. I mean, when you're in Wisconsin and there's. 50,000 cheeseheads out there and they're just screaming as loud as they possibly can go USA that um, invokes an emotion out of me that I wouldn't get when you're playing you know Vegas and there's a thousand people out there on on the fifth hole yeah yeah that makes sense do you get bored playing the PGA Tour ever Mondays Tuesdays Wednesdays always strike me as I guess days that people at home seeing guys living the dream don't necessarily think that much about. And I, I think that's when a lot of important preparation happens. Uh, but it's definitely a little bit tedious. Do you enjoy that part of it? Bored isn't the adjective I'd use, but monotonous. It mm-hmm. gets to be the same every day. I mean, my body is a body and brain is a, is a golf ball hitting machine. And the more I can get my body tuned up the same every single day in general, the better I'll be at being that golf ball hitting machine and um so doing that every day that same routine over and over and over again uh when you're on the third week in a row uh and you're out on the road and you'd rather probably be at home yeah that can be tedious and monotonous um it's not boring golf's very engaging that way and that a problem that you had two weeks ago could be totally fixed and you might have three new ones uh just 14 days later and that happens all the time and you have to solve for that problem and so that part makes it never boring but trying to get your body and brain into the same state every day so you can perform optimally can be tedious and monotonous for sure how do you think that's similar or different to athletes in other sports and the way they would prepare I, i imagine playing major league baseball would feel very similar uh, game starts at seven, you show up mm-hmm. at three o'clock, you're on the road again, you've played five out of the last seven days or whatever it is. And you're getting on the plane and you probably go, where's this plane headed? What city are we going to? And you know, you get there and it's another clubhouse. It's another gym and you keep doing the same thing over and over again. And, um, when the season's all over, you've done it 162 times plus the playoffs. And so it, I'm sure it feels similar. 
I don't think people probably have a sense of what you go through to keep your body in shape and to, to prep for tournament rounds. Can you walk me through what some of that is? Yeah, on a tournament day, I'll usually get there two and a half or so hours before and start with uh, my physical therapist, Marnus, and then, um, you know, I'm on the table for 45 minutes or so and um, maybe a little less, and then I go to the gym um, for a similar amount of time, maybe a little less, and then get dressed in the clubhouse and go out about an hour and 15 to an hour before, um, and then I hit putts, hit chips, hit balls, hit putts, and then I go to the first tee. And how much um, work do you do on your body when you're away from tournaments? Yeah, quite a bit. I will uh, see uh, another physical therapist that I have at home, um, you know, most days when I'm at home, and uh, whether I'm playing golf or, or not. And I just think for me personally, with the injuries that I've had um, and how an injury, how I know that an injury can just totally derail your career, it's important for me to stay proactive, even though I feel really good. I think I feel really good because I do all those things all the time to yeah. feel really good. I guess that was going to be my question. Is it, is it proactive or reactive? It sounds like you're feeling mostly pretty healthy and this is because you know how bad it can be to feel broken. Yeah, definitely. And as you've seen with, uh, guys winning majors and big tournaments into their forties and, uh, even late forties, um, you know, I can play this game for another 20 years if mm -hmm. I keep myself healthy, but I won't be able to keep play this game for another 20 years if I don't. So I think of it as putting money in the bank like an investment. And not only does it help me right in the here and now feel my best and play my best every day, but hopefully it adds a, you know, a chunk onto the end of my career too. Yeah. I mean, when Tiger sort of describes his process going into tournaments, it's more of like, uh, everything is broken to begin the day and then he duct tapes it all together enough to play a tournament round so this sounds like you're getting ahead of the game a little bit more so i like that yeah i'm also a little younger so you're a little younger <laughs> you've been through a little bit less which is a good thing i may be at that uh that that duct taping stage when i get to that age yeah uh what do you like about golf you were talking about solving problems is that kind of what it comes down to for you? Yeah, I think it's extremely engaging, complex task, and you'll never be as good as you feel you should be. And I think that's a truism for golfers everywhere. Um, they're always imagining their best round, and even on their best days, they think that there's one or two or maybe more shots out there. And um, that pursuit of being the best I possibly can be at that activity is really engaging and, and fun to do and think about all the time. And then not only that, but the competition aspect for me, I've always been particularly competitive. Um, and so that how difficult it is to win and how difficult it is to beat the best players is, I mean, it's everything I practice for and it's, it's extremely fun. How does that competitiveness extend to other parts of your life? Do you play? You said you play some cards. Yeah. Uh, do, are you competitive in other arenas? Yeah, competitive and stubborn. Um, <laughs> you know, and so that's how I got to be average at at gin rummy. You know, I lost a lot of money in the card room and uh, <laughs> was really stubborn on trying to get better. And um, that's usually a good recipe. Doing it a lot and and caring about how well you do it is a good recipe for for getting good at things. So if you're a top five golfer in the world, what is the thing in the world that you are uh, the next highest ranked at? Mm. Is it Jin Rummy? It's probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know exactly what it is. That'd be a good question for probably my inner circle. You'd probably get a couple different answers, but <laughs> I don't, I, I'd, I'd have to think about that one before I gave you a better answer. Fair. Uh, who is your inner circle? Who are your people? I mean, we've, we've touched on Xander now. Like who else knows Patrick Cantlay? Yeah, I would say, you know, uh, Xander for sure. Uh, Jamie Mulligan um, would be obviously a good a good pick. I mean, I started working with Jamie when I was eight or nine years old, um, and he's really the only person that's ever given me a like a golf swing lesson. I took some playing lessons with an assistant pro, Mike Miles, at Virginia Country Club when I was growing up. But uh, Jamie's really the only person that's taught me how to swing the golf club. 
And so he's seen me, uh, you know, since I was that little and yeah. we spent a lot of time together. Um, I'm sure my caddy by now would be able mm-hmm. to uh, give you lots of insight in a different way than Jamie, just because he's out there in the heat of the moment. We spend a lot of time together. So um, most of the people that I work with, I would say, are, are my inner circle. And, and I would say now my fiance, uh, we spend a lot of time together and, and she travels to a lot of tournaments. And, and so, yeah, most of the people that I work with uh, is my inner circle just because I spend so much time doing what I love to do. Do you spend time around other guys on tour? I mean, Xander, obviously, but, and then I'm sure you've spent time with guys in team rooms and stuff, mm-hmm. but the PGA tour can be a pretty, uh, I don't know if solitary is the quite, quite the right word. Cause it seems like everyone has their teams, but the teams don't always intermingle. Mm-hmm. Do you spend time with a lot of other guys besides Xander or not really? Yeah, I would say I moved to Jupiter four or five years ago and so uh, spend a decent amount of time with JT and Ricky down there. We play a lot of golf, which is fun and um, played on a couple teams with, with those guys. And uh, yeah, I'd say JT and Jordan will play Xander and I a few times during the year in practice rounds and we enjoy hanging. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I tend to I tend to keep more to myself and more in my own circle out on tour more than I would um, engage and spend a lot of time away from the golf course with too many of the other guys. Why did you want to get involved in PGA Tour government? I think uh, quite simply me being a PGA Tour member, I want to learn about and uh, understand the business side of the PGA Tour because I'm going to be out there. And I want to contribute, if I can, to making the PGA Tour just a little better, if that's what I can do. Um, I mean, if nothing more than just I'm going to be out on the PGA Tour, hopefully, for a long time. You're the best representative for yourself, essentially. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Are you trying to figure things out? Do you feel like you've already figured a bunch of things out? Do you feel like, I guess the question I'm really getting to here is like, was Phil Mickelson right about the PGA tour? Like the, is there, is there a ton of uh, extra stuff that the tour is hiding and keeping from its players? Uh, or is there some, you know, in between version of, of between what the tour says and what Phil says, like, is there a lot more that the tour can be doing for its players? And is that what we're already seeing? Uh, that's a tough question. I think it's not as black and white as that. I think the tour's business is extremely robust and complex and so understanding even how uh all of the businesses work together and all of the entities work together um is a is a difficult undertaking and so um you know i've been on the pack this last year and i go on to the board this next year and i'm looking forward to learning more and educating myself um but no i don't think the the tour is doing anything that they're uh I don't think that they're, you know, saying something and doing something else. I think they're doing exactly what they're saying. The question is all about, is it how you want it to be working? And so uh, a lot of times that's a a matter of opinion, but I am um, doing my best to try and educate myself as much as possible and, and try to make the tour a better place for all of its members. When you start the year, do you set out goals? I don't really. Um, and if I would, I would set more process goals than I would um, outcome goals. So, you know, I would set goals like feeling healthy uh, all year and not having my body limit me. Um, you know, as with everyone else, I've been trying to swing the golf club faster and hit it mm-hmm. farther. Um, and, um, you know, trying to stay in a better frame of mind. Um, I tend to get uh, more negative than I would say I would like. Negative on yourself? Yeah, tough on myself, and I think there's a fine line there. I think tough on yourself can make you better and and make you expect more of yourself so you prepare harder and and focus harder, but you don't want it to go too far to where you're not giving yourself any breaks or you're not cutting yourself some slack knowing that you are human. So I would set more process goals, and I I do that with the various members of my team that help me in, in the little parts of my game. Um, but I don't necessarily have any big outcome goals because I think the way you get the outcomes is through the process. You've shown up here looking a little bit like a free agent 
Your uh, your <laughs> shirt doesn't have as many logos as it did. Uh, I think your bag looks a little bit different too. What's going on with that? Are you are you doing some research in a few different departments right now? Yeah, I am uh, looking for um, a couple different partners, and uh, it's the beginning of the year, so hopefully uh, figure that out relatively soon and and put that behind me and just focus on the golf. Fair enough. Um, is that the sort of thing? Uh, I guess here I'm thinking specifically about like testing clubs and playing clubs. Is that the sort of thing where uh, making a certain amount of money in your career gives you a little bit more freedom to say, hey, I'm going to go play whatever clubs are the best for me rather than feeling some pressure to, to, you know, play a certain brand. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, uh, I think for me, I want to play the best equipment out there. So if I think it's going to help my golf, I'd like to be able to play it. Um, and so that maybe involves a little more testing than I'd like. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I'm not going to change my game to fit equipment or anything like that. And, um, if, but if something's better, I'd like to be able to put it in place. So, um, you know, with the current situation I'm in right now, it gives me that freedom. And, um, it's an interesting process to try and see if I can find any better clubs or better equipment. So uh, like, do you just, have you been trying a little bit of everything? Oh, wow. We just got a nice rainbow out here. Yeah. It's beautiful here. Almost, almost two. Almost. Yeah. Kind of a double rainbow, <laughs> not great audio, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, breathtaking here um sorry we were talking other equipment yeah yeah i mean it, what happens there do you, i mean i'm sure equipment companies if they hear oh patrick cantley is potentially open to playing our clubs would be interested in you playing their clubs yeah for sure um the problem is with me is i might hit a club once and say not, not for me um <laughs> yeah. i'm not going to spend too much time like i said trying to make a new club get into my bag but mm -hmm. if i think that a potential club is better i'll I'd like to be able to put that thing in right away. What's on your bucket list when it comes to uh, success, I guess, in professional golf? Obviously winning majors, winning, you know, com completing the career grand slam, um, I think is something that you grow up dreaming about accomplishing and is definitely on my bucket list. And then other than that, I think winning as many golf tournaments as possible. I think I'm probably at the stage uh, in my career where winning is probably the only thing that really moves the needle. Um, I'm not going to finish a tournament in the top five and, and be too happy about that. That's more business as usual. Um, and careers are usually measured in terms of wins and big wins. I mean, well, hold on a second though, because that is a really hard standard to hold yourself to. I mean, I said, I know you said you have high standards for yourself. You can get a little bit negative, but if it's win or kind of bust, that's tough. That's a tough way to spend your year. It is, but I think that's that's the reality. I think uh, I also think that mindset gets you farther than you know being happy about tenth place finishes. Now, if you have a have a tournament where you know you're in fortieth or fiftieth come the weekend because you didn't play particularly well or whatever it was, and then you play really well on the weekend and finish third, yeah, you can be happy about that. But that's not that's not the the really really the goal. Uh, the goal is to win tournaments, and that may be a high bar, but I think you get farther with that mentality than you do with hoping you make cuts. We're getting a little bit of sideways rain here. This is like the downside to the rainbow lifestyle, I guess. When you look back at what you've accomplished so far on the PGA Tour, what's what's your kind of Mount Rushmore? What's your highlight reel? Like if your career is a, is a movie, what are the high points? Yeah, I think it's obvious uh, – FedEx Cup um, and, uh, you know, winning those couple BMWs back to back against, you know, elite fields. Um, definitely probably my best three tournament wins um, or biggest high, highest profile. Um, but I, honestly, when I look back, I think one of the more impressive things that I've been able to do was take that three year break between PJ Tour events. And then uh, I made the the tour championship that year in like 12 or 13 events and didn't miss any cuts after not having played. And so, uh, that honestly seems harder to me than, you know, winning some big tournaments, uh, looking back on it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I would say that. That is, uh, that's remarkable actually. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you would feel a lot of pressure to do that now and I'm sure you're playing at a high enough level that you probably would, but 
yeah, looking back, that has to feel pretty good. All right, I want you to flip your hat. Uh, I guess not flip your hat, whatever it would be. What do you wish the golf media did better? <laughs> um, or maybe you think we do a perfect job. <laughs> and I guess I shouldn't even say we. Don't even lump me in here. Just is there anything? Is there anything you would like to see anyone in the golf world do better? I think there's been a lot of focus on uh, rumors lately, with everything changing. Yeah. And so uh, less rumor talk and more fact talk. Um, and then also I would just say, I feel like it's a lot of times it's easy to ask a guy, Oh, how, how'd you play this week or interview the winner and say what clicked for you this week. Um, but I wouldn't mind some more, you know, deeper questions or deeper articles. You know, Mm -hmm. I read a decent amount of, of golf stuff. Um, and, uh, very rarely do I get a, a big introspective piece on somebody or, (laughs) or a topic. And I'd love to see. I'd love to see more of that. Yeah, I mean, and how aware are you of your name being in these rumor mills? Like, obviously, you get asked about it when you go up to the microphone like you did this afternoon at at Kapalua, but is that something that, like, your team tells you about or you encounter when you're reading golf websites, or does it just not really even come across your mind? I don't read many golf websites, but uh, I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah, see. I made you sound very cool there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll see the articles on my phone. Um, I would say, you know, I, the, really the only time I really hear about it is when I when I walk into the into a press conference the last you know six months or nine months or mm-hmm. however long it's been. I don't, you know, I, I don't hear it much in my in my daily life at all, if at all. And so I'm always a little bit surprised when I, when I hear stuff like that, because it's just, it's not on, it's not really on my radar. Yeah. Yeah. How conscious are you of, uh, maintaining your image or your brand a certain way? Like, I mean, obviously you haven't been overly proactive about, you know, hearing a rumor and then getting out and posting something on social media saying wait guys that's not true whatever trying to control the message like how much do you think about the way you're perceived i don't give it too much thought i try to be authentically myself in every interaction that i have uh even with media um and i try to you know like i said uh, honor or, or not honor uh speak truthfully and and speak based on things based in reality and uh I don't, uh, I just don't, I don't give too much credence to rumors myself. And so I can't control what people are saying out there. And, um, I'm not gonna put out a public statement when, you know, I go to a press conference and hear that there's been some rumors, like I'm not even really seeing those. So I don't, it's not, it's just not really on my radar. Yeah. I I mean, I think it probably ends up being a good approach because some people, I'm not even thinking about golfers. Actually, just that Harry and Meghan Netflix documentary just came to mind. <laughs> just being people being too online, hearing too much about themselves. You probably haven't even watched this, but I didn't know it was. I didn't know it came on. <laughs> do you know who Harry and Meghan are? I, I do, I do, right. but I didn't know they had a had a show. Yeah, yeah, they just had a show to kind of like set the record straight. And I feel like okay. you can't set the record straight. You, it's a losing battle. There's usually two sides to every story. There, yeah, yeah. There are two sides to every story. Um, what would what would make this a successful year for Patrick Cantley? Those things I talked about. I'd like to hit the golf ball further. I'd like to improve my uh, mental game a little bit, which I think is you know being a little more positive. Um, and I'd like to I'd like to get sharper. I'd like to hit my wedges closer and hit my short irons closer. I think. Uh, you know, hitting it farther and being able to hit those wedges and short irons closer is probably the areas in my game where I can make the biggest improvements. And so I'm going to spend some more time on that this year and, and, and try and make gains in those areas. Do you have any bold predictions for the year in golf? Not really. Uh, I don't, I haven't given that much thought. I don't think much about bold. What would be a bold prediction? You know, Tiger, Tiger winning another major. Yeah. we, We always have a little bit of a hard time. Golf's a bit of a trickier one. There's, there's fewer things you can really predict and the predictions that there are like extremely specific. It's like one guy winning one tournament, or you could say that you're going to end the year at world number one. I could try to back you into that corner. That'd be great. 
Um, That's what I'm working towards. All right. Patrick Cantlay guarantees he'll finish 2023 <laughs> at world number one. Uh, anything else that you want to discuss that you want to get off your chest? I don't, I don't have much that I want to get off my chest or do you like being a public figure? Similar to the rumors. I don't give it, I don't give it much thought. Yeah. Um, the better I play, the more of a public figure I tend to become. Um, but that's not a goal that I'm looking to achieve. It's just part of, part of the process of, of winning golf tournaments. If you win golf tournaments, the more golf tournaments you win, the more people will care about where you go to get your coffee or what car you're driving or anything like that. I mean, I always think about, you know, with all the success and all the public figure type icon level that a Michael Jordan or a Tiger Woods has gotten to, they have definitely sacrificed a lot um, in return for being arguably the greatest uh, to ever play their sport or do what they do. And so everything comes with a price and that, is a price of winning lots of golf tournaments. And I would say I need to win a lot more golf tournaments yeah. for me to pay that big of a price. So I don't, <laughs> if tiger's a hundred on that scale, where are you? I'm in, in the, the same, si- I'm scale. in the single digits <laughs> Oh <no. laughs> for sure. So that means you can go around town and people don't stop you while you're getting coffee too often. Not too often, every once in a while, but I can only imagine what it would be like for MJ or, or tiger. All right. Well, that seems like a pretty good place to leave it. If you see Patrick getting coffee, you can stop him and say hello. He won't be too bothered. Patrick, thanks for your first appearance of, I'm sure, many on the drop zone. All right. Thanks, Dylan. Enjoy Good luck this week. Thank you very much. All right. Major thanks to Dylan. Boots on the ground in Hawaii. Major thanks to Patrick Cantlay for sitting with my co-host. Thank you for listening to the drop zone. We've got bold predictions coming, I believe, next week, maybe later this week. Um, And Dylan and I are going to give you... A bunch of good Drop Zone podcast content coming up here. We're going to have Jonathan Wall, our equipment editor, kind of break down who's playing what, um, who is signing with whom, why Cantlay himself uh, is no longer like fully staffed by Titleist, and all kind of good stuff like that. James Colgan is going to come on and talk about golf media. We're going to try to have a bunch of good interviews. So big things to come here in 2023. Thanks for listening. Tell your friend about it. We'll talk soon.